I just wanted to start the new year speaking about over the next few weeks. And before I do that, just to also remind in a week or so's time, I'll be in Haiti. Um, we're doing a, a leaders equipped time there. There'll be four, four or 500 leaders there. And uh, I'm really with the team, going with the team. We are really excited to see what God's doing. I've been there before, and he's starting to open doors. And I just want to tell you, God is on the move in that nation. It's a, it's a, it's a desperate place to be, but people are turning to God. And, and so why I'm saying that is please pray for that time. Um, pr- please pray for the team, but more that uh, there's an impart- impartation into the lives of those tremendous uh, men and women of God who who unlike us don't have these beautiful facilities and all the things we have, but love God passionately. So if you can remember that, will be great. Thank you. Uh, so we're gonna be speaking over the next two weeks before Dave comes and what it means to be a part of the family of God. And, um, and so I'm looking forward to it. And um, I wanna kick off with this amazing scripture in Ephesians chapter two, uh, verse 19 to 21. He's writing to, Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus that he he had planted and reminding them uh, of who we are in Christ, the light. His first two chapters are amazing where he uh, establishes who we are in Christ, what Christ did for us, and our identity in Christ. And uh, and, um, in that in that passage there, he says this, Ephesians 2, 19 to 21. Paul writing to the church of Ephesus reminds them that because of Jesus, and this is a scripture, we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. This household is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. He's speaking about you and I and every life-giving church on the planet. And in him, you two are being built together. I love that, built together, because we're gonna look at Peter and what he says about living stones after this, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We have, we, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but corporate, corporately when we come together like this, as the church of the living God, God lives within us by his spirit. Isn't that an amazing privilege, an amazing sight? Isn't it way bigger than some of the traditional views that we've been taught or, or, or happened in the life where we go to church or where the church is a building that we go to once a week? Instead of understanding that we are the church, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives within us wherever we go. And Peter picks up on this theme in 1 Peter 2, verse 4 to 12. And he says this, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Men may have rejected us as they rejected Jesus Christ, but as soon as you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, chosen by him and precious to him, you like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I love the picture of a living stone, and we're going to talk about that maybe a little bit more, that Uh, often religion wants us to conform rules and regulations where relationship wants us to be who we are in Christ. And the beautiful thing about a stone and not a brick, because religion wants us to be fit in some certain mold, the beautiful thing about being in a relationship with Jesus Christ is there's no one stone that is the same. And we're all different, and different is good. But what we also need to understand, it's way harder to build with stones than with bricks. We have a stonemason in, in our church, and uh, I'd love to 
talk to him more about this, but there's nothing more beautiful than a stone wall. And I've, I've watched a guy build a stone wall once. I was uh, in a parking lot and was building it across the road. I was just waiting for my wife, um, doing what she loves to do, shopping in the mall or somewhere. And um, he was building, and he would pick up a stone, and he would look at the stone and turn it upside down and round and maybe put it down there and find another one and find the one that he wanted to put in that wall. And that's what Jesus does with us. But stones that aren't connected are a bunch of rubble. No good for anything. We're living stones, all different. And that's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says that we need to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace because unity takes effort. We can't all have it our own way. But for the sake of the kingdom and the sake of the gospel, we learn to work together. There's very few, few things in Scripture that are non-negotiable. In the Apostles' Creed, you can see almost all the uh, non-negotiables of the Word, the inerrancy of the Word of God, the triune God, all of those kind of things. Those are things that we will live on, die on. But everything else, often in the church, has just got to do with like what we like or what the flavor we like and all of this. And, and sometimes for the good of the whole, we need to lay down what our preferences are for the good of the others. And how many of you know that takes effort? But it's worth it because where there's unity, the Word of God says God commands His blessing. I'm way off my notes already, so we'll try and get back here. Eh? But I've often thought of that. The commanded blessing of God. Nothing can stand in the midst of that. And we have glimpses, glimpses of it through history. And we had a glimpse of it in the, up, in the upper room in Acts 2 in the book of uh, Acts where people come together in prayer seeking God. But it says they were all together in one accord. In unity. And I'm longing for the day for the revivals we speak, see and long for. The prerequisite for that, one of the main ones, is unity. Chosen by God. But we've been built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's Jesus Christ. Now to you who believe in this stone uh, is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. A stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message because it is also what they were destined for. But you... This is a high calling, are a chosen people. And I love that word. And there's many theologies around it, and I want to say it again, my view of this. Because if you're a five-point Calvinist, you, uh, uh, you will feel that because we're chosen and God predestined us, we don't have to uh, share the gospel. God knows who's going to heaven and God knows who's going to hell. Well, I cannot have as a father, my view and the prism I look through the, the New Testament and the Word of God is especially the New Testament where God for the first time was revealed as our Father. The first time any Jewish audience had heard God of God as a Father, I believe, was when Jesus taught the disciples to pray. And when you pray, our Father who art is heaven. You'll never see that word in the New Testament, but through Jesus Christ, we come in his family. He's the father of God. And when I look at the perfect father who says he is, who does not change like shifting shadows, I don't believe like myself with my beautiful children and grandchildren, I would choose some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. I cannot see that through the eyes of this loving father. So my view on this is it's just my view is that God chooses all. For God so loved the world that whomsoever, that he gave his son for the whomsoever's. 
God chooses all. And we have an opportunity in our life. I believe everyone has it, uh, whether it's through uh, visions as is happening in the Middle East and, and um, visions of Christ like Paul had that are happening supernaturally all over the world in these countries, or whether it's through us sharing the gospel, whatever it is. And that, at that very moment, they have a choice to either choose God or not. It's like when I asked my wife to marry me, and she had a choice. She could have said no. I would have been pretty upset. But she could have said no, and therefore she wouldn't have become my chosen one. So God chooses everybody, and he gives us a choice to choose them, and the ones that choose him are the chosen ones. My wife is my wife. She wouldn't be my wife. And that to me is how I see this relationship with God. And I was doing this uh, 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 on Ephesians 1 or 2, I think a few years ago, we spoke on it for a whole year, just those two chapters. And I was struggling over these theological issues. And um, that's what I felt for me and so on. Anyway, I just wanted to tell you that you are chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. This is a high view that God has of you. You are part of a holy nation, and you are a people that now belong to the family of God. But you were chosen for purpose, and that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light when you responded to the word, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of he visits us. Living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood. That's what God says of us. Because of Jesus Christ, our righteousness is in nothing what we've done, but all in and through Jesus Christ. He redeemed us from the curse. A holy nation a people belonging to God. We're a place where God lives by his spirit and we're the very dwelling place of God on this earth. Doesn't it change your view a little bit of church? See, we don't come to church. The church is not a destination or a building. We are the church. And we come together be it in a gym or under a corrugated roof in Haiti or under a tree in Africa or in a cathedral, we come together as the church. Without us in that building, that church is building is nothing but a building. But when we come together as, as the church, this is how we come. And what an incredible privilege with an incredible calling And it's so much more than coming to the church once a week, as important as that is. You see, 1 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 says this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, and the new has come. When Jesus saves you, and you confess your sin, 1 John 1, 1, 9, it says he is faithful and just to forgive you all your sin and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness in an instant because of Jesus Christ. And so we have the old is gone. And people might remind you of the past and the devil might do that, but you need to know in the eyes of God, he, does, he only sees you one way and that's hidden in Christ. Seated in Christ, 
hidden in Christ. We come through the blood of Christ into the very holy of all these. It's got nothing to do with us. It's got everything to do with them. And we need to understand that because what hinders us the most from going forward is remembering our past. You walk out somewhere and say, hey guys, I'm a Christian. You, you did this, you're a rat, you did that. You shouldn't be here, you don't deserve this. And, all. and, you, and you go home, well, maybe I don't. Maybe I'm not. Maybe this. There's only one answer to that. Do you know right? Once I was lost, but now I'm found. I'm saved. That was me. And you're still dealing with some of that old stuff for sure. But Jesus Christ saved me and set me free. And because of that, Paul says in Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2, because of what God did to me, I press on even more. I work harder because of his grace in me. The old is gone. The new has come. This is a new year. This is, a, in a sense, a new beginning. And it might not be an easy year. The world is ramping up, but we don't walk alone. And the world needs the light of God. And we carry that within us. And he says this, the old is gone, the new has come. And then he says this. Who, all this is from God. I've just explained that. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him and gave us the message of reconciliation. We have been redeemed from the curse. We've been set free. And now he wants us to tell everybody what God has done for us. The best uh, advert you have for the gospel is tell them your story. And then tell them what Jesus did. I'll tell you my story once again. And it wasn't a happy start in life for sure. But when I was 24, I met the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll be 60 soon. Some of you that's young, other you that's old, I know. I like the ones that say it's young. But um, for all those years, 36 years, doing it well sometimes, doing badly sometimes, wanting to give up sometimes, happy sometimes, sad sometimes, sinning sometimes, God saved me. And God saved you. And he has given us a ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, as Christ's ambassadors, as though you are, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, there's no more God can do for us. And because the gospel has been down. Um, graded so often through wrong teachings on prosperity and all of these kind of things. You know, we equate blessings of God to how well we're doing, how financially secure we are, and how all of these things. And we get a new car, we're happy, we crash a new car, we're sad, we get a great dog, we, uh, a dog <laughs> named Pippin, <laughs> my little Jack Russell that tries me every day, but I meant to say, <laughs> we get a great job, and uh, <laughs> praise God, I'm blessed, I'm the head and not the tail, and all of this, the next week we fired, God doesn't love me anymore, God cannot love us anymore, he cannot give us anything more than his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that the whomsoever can believe in and receive, there's nothing he can give. If it was a prosperity gospel, then what do we say to the people in Haiti? What do we say to the ones in Africa and China who are laying down their lives in the Middle East for the sake of the gospel? In China, tremendous persecution. Now go and read on the voice of the martyrs and things. There's tremendous persecution on the church and people are standing and saying it doesn't matter. We're gonna serve God. And Christianity has now, and why the persecution is there that I've read, has now overtaken in numbers members of the Communist Party in China. 
It's amazing what's happening around the world. And God wants to do it here in Canada, right here and now. And it's through the church. It's not through the government. It doesn't matter who's in power. We need to pray for them, not argue about them and trash them. Hey, I wouldn't like that job anyway. It's hard enough just leading a few hundred people, let alone a nation. Pray for those. Whether we agree with them or not, but pray God says this, if you want revival, if my people, not the country, my people will humble themselves, number one, will seek my face, and if my people will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. Four things that we can do to precipitate revival in a nation. And most revivals started with a handful of people and, or little churches somewhere in the backside of a place like Jingle Pot somewhere in the world. I, go, I travel a lot around the world and I tell them I lead a church in Jingle Pot in Nanaimo. They burst out laughing. I say, what the heck is that? I say, it's an awesome place. God made him who had no sin, sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. You see, throughout the New Testament, we see a strong emphasis on our identity. And I want to speak to this about because there's an identity crisis in the world, but there's also one in the body of Christ. You see, We'll see this. When we get our identity from what we do, no matter whether it's in the world or here, we are fulfilled when we're doing well and we feel terrible when we're doing badly. But when we get our identity from our Father in heaven and what He thinks of us and not from our function, it changes how we work. And we, that's crept into the church, that must thing about identity. People come into a church and they think, like, I'm a bit off topic here, but I just want to pick this here. People come into a church, and they get saved, and say, okay, now you're saved. If you really work hard and you really do well, maybe you can be a deacon. So they work hard, they do all of it because they think that's a promotion. No, it's actually a demotion. Because deacon means servant, diaconos. But if I really deek well, then maybe I can become an elder or a pastor. Now I've really made it. I'm just below the Godhead. But if I really, really do pastoring well, I might get an international ministry or we get on an apostolic team and all of that, and we try and then, no, we will see in Scripture right now that we are all equal before God, but different in function. There's no higher calling in the universe, not even the angels, they marvel at it, than being a child of God, an heir of God, and a co-heir with Christ. Everything else is downhill. Serving, serving, serving. We might have Maybe the most, in the eyes of the world, the most terrible job. I'm only this. But you know what? What you are there, in that job, and in the, you are a child of God, and you're a missionary to those people that you work with in the ditches or wherever it is. You can be a light. You can be an ambassador to God. God places you. God places you in your jobs. He places people in government, and he places people in prison. You know, there are many Christians in prison. And we are sometimes, all of us, one decision away from being there ourselves. And I did a prison ministry, and it was amazing, the, the people I met in there. But if they understand, even though they've messed up, they can be a light they can share the gospel, and, in, and instead of sitting there moaning about themselves, they have a captive audience. 
<laughs> and who knows? Why can't revival start there? Doesn't matter what we do, it's who we are. And yes, we need doctors, lawyers, prime ministers, or we need all of those. But we also need people that will come and shovel the snow and clean the drains and put electric poles in the ground. Who's the most important person that you need at the time when there's no electricity? Or maybe I need a professor in physiology or whatever. No, you need a guy that's got an organ could put a hole in and stick a pole in there and get your lights going. We're all important. And our value comes from Christ. And he wants to use us with the gift in his God. You see, we see the church described as the building of God, the temple of God, the body of Christ. One body with many members, but different functions and anointings and abilities. And Paul writes of this in Romans 12, three to nine. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to you, every one of you, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Can I also say, don't think more lowly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the word, with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body and many members, that's us, heirs of God, heirs of Christ, so these members all do not have the same function. We have identity in Christ and we function in some of these gifts and these are only some of them. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. We cannot be proud about what we got, our educations or all of that, our intellectual, we, that's a grace given to you by God. I can want to be Elias Patterson. I can practice all I like. The whole NHL can practice all they like. He has a special grace gift that makes him different. And you have a special grace gift that makes you different. It could be using a paintbrush, digging a hole, a professor of theology, anywhere in between, and you can use that gift to be an ambassador of Christ. An ambassador simply represents a king. And that's what God school us. If a man gift is prophesying, we've got Dave come in, he's got a prophetic gift. Let him use it in proportion to his face. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. People are gifted with the ability to create wealth. We can either be like the Sea of Galilee or the Dead Sea. Both the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea are on the same river, Jordan. The one is full of fish and the other one is dead. What's the difference? There's no outlet out of the Sea of Galilee. That same river runs into the Jordan, fresh river, fresh water. There's no outlet. I believe it's a prophetic picture. We are gifted to give generally, many of us generously, and we cannot ever outgive God. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently, and if it is shown mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Leaders lead, servers serve, teachers teach, prophets prophesy, all in accordance to the measure of their faith, all serving the body in their function. Interesting thing about that passage is interesting because traditions have made this hierarchical thing. Interesting thing 
Paul, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, puts leadership second last there. Behind encouragement, behind serving and all of that. Why? Because leadership's not important. No, of course it is. Leaders will be given account for how they lead. But encouragers will give an account of how they've encouraged. Servers will give it. Givers, all of these. We will give an account to God one day. But why I think he put it second last is because in the natural, we would think that's above the others. All equal in gifting, all called to use their gifts, but different in function. So I have no more anointing, no more of the power of God, no more of anything of God than you can have. Because when we seek God, we find him. When we ask him and we receive from him, and when we're faithful with our gift, he increases that gift, and he increases that gift. I tell you, in South Africa, I served about two, um, uh, um, saved about two years, about 26 years old, still trying to work this all out. And the pastor was the NCMI church. I got saved into a church like this. He said to me, hey, I think you're gonna pre- need to preach in a few weeks. I said, are you kidding me? So I was a deacon at the time or serving there. He says, no, I feel there's a call on you. So I said, come with me. So I sat with him and he went through and all of us, I had this like one and a half page, five, 10 minute talk. And we were in the church, it was a nice church and all of that, nice platform walked up with this big plexiglass um, uh, podium. And I'm sitting there sweating bullets in the, please God, please, please, not me. May he change his mind, all of that. All of us, he gets up to welcome everybody. I'm praying that he won't get down again. He says, Mike's gonna preach. I walked up there, I got hold of that podium and I looked out and I froze. My legs started shaking, now there's a plexiglass. <laughs> I remember thinking to, I hope I put my fly up. <laughs> Serious, and I'm shaking like this, holding this thing. I read one scripture and I said, I can't do this, I went and sat down. I'm telling you, I felt terrible. I've, I've never seen anybody start preaching anywhere in the world as bad as that. <laughs> never. And I said I'd never do it again. Never, ever, ever. Worked with me. So you've got a call. So on. God will use the foolish if we give what we have to him. God can never fill a clenched fist. This is mine. It's like you give a child two chocolates, one for the brother and one for the sister. My grandkids, you give it to the guy, he's not opening his hand. He's not sharing that with nobody. No ways. Granddaughter's crying, he's saying no ways. Goes on, he opens his hand, it's just mush. The chocolates are gone. And that's what we do. It's mine. No, God. You can use a mite of a widow. You, the widow of Zarephath, her last meal, you can turn that around into supernatural provision. We can never outgive God in our service, in our finances, and all of that. We can never do it. We trust God. You see, here's the key. I'm just reiterating some of the stuff. When we, all, when we begin to understand that we're all equal before God, but different in function, that no function is more important than the other, simply different, all striving begins to see and be, becomes a beautiful thing. You see, identity is found in not in what we do, but who we are. And that who we are as children of God. Being built into spiritual health. But like every household, there is responsibility for every member. If you're a visitor here and, um, and people take a while to settle, I have these two pictures of the church. People come in to the church, they might have been burnt out, whatever, 
and the church for them is like a cruise ship. And I've done cruises, and they're really cool. But when you're sitting on the top deck there with your, with your glass, with the umbrella in it, and listening to Calypso music or whatever, the captain walks around the deck. I've noticed this. We've been on two, I think, every time. Sitting by the pool, one of them says, comes with his first officers. They're all dressed up. They say, hey, so how are you doing? Doesn't speak to everybody, but, but you'll see that. And he said, no, I'm really doing fine. I'm lying here with like this. Ah, awesome. You're enjoying your time. He goes on. But there's another picture, and that's a battleship. We're at war. Dark and light cannot mix. There's a battleship, and some stage we have to get off that cruise ship and onto the battleship. And I can guarantee you, if I was on a USS whatever, Eisenhower or whatever they, they are, those big aircraft carriers, and I decide one day, you know what, I'm not going to pull my weight. I'm just going to get a deck chair. I'm going to put it on the flight deck there, and I'm going to grab a, a Coke, and I'm going to sit there in the sun. We're cruising the Mediterranean. What would happen if the captain walked past now? Would he say, hey, guy, how are you doing? You enjoying this ride? And do you want another drink? You'll be in a lifeboat dropped in the middle of the Pacific with two oars, maybe just one. There's an expectation that we come into the body of Christ, we settle in, is this our home, and then we become an active member. It's an expectation of God the Father. It's not expectation of me. And we'll look at that. Galatians 6, 5, and just one little scripture there. Don't read it in here. For each one should carry his own load. God gives us each a load, and God gives us body of Christ a load. I tell you, we have an international outreach. I'm not saying that to be proud of that. We have an international outreach. And we got a text this week or an email from an African pastor in Africa. They wanted to thank us because he started a Bible school, and he's found school of the Bible that we started with a GoPro and Mark in Crocs and shorts. Had to get him to dress a little bit better after that. <laughs> said, Mark, this is going around the world. He says, nobody will watch it. Well, this guy thanked us. They run School of the Bible in Africa off our, off our website. We, God will do things. A little thing started in a little room with two or three guys and, and a fat and a skinny guy. He's my mate. <laughs> I'm the fat <laughs> Hey, Marky, we laugh about it, eh? It is amazing. And now, in Africa, the books of Romans, the books of Colossians, the foundations of the faith, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God, they can sit there and they can listen to it and they can grow in it from this little place. God can do anything, anything. He takes the foolish people, like Marky and I, when we started, I said, Mark, Mark is, I, don't want to, I want to honor this man. He's just finished his, his thesis or dissertation for his doctorate in theology. He, And I have for five, six, eight years prodded and nudged him and encouraged him to finish it, to do his master's and do his, his doctorate, to study, to show himself approved. And, and I said, Mark, we're going to start a, a Bible school. He says, when? I said, next week. <laughs> well, who's going to come? I don't care. Might just be you and me. I don't know. That's how it started. And it's not the biggest Bible school, and it's not all of that, but the gospel. I know this man's theology, and they're getting sound doctrine in Africa, and who knows elsewhere. Isn't it amazing? 
So each one should carry our own load. So what does that mean? This church is growing. That Sunday school is over 100 kids. Let's just take 180. Sometimes there's two teachers, and most of them haven't got teaching degrees, with 25 kids. And we need people to step up. Because I meet with those leaders, and this is not a heavy, I'm just telling a real thing, to keep those teachers encouraged or even doing it. But when people come, like if this church is carrying a 10-ton load, and there's a 1,000 people carrying one pound, how many of you are? We could carry it forever. We'll carry a few pounds extra anyway, around our waists. But if there's 10 people, and each one of them is carrying 100 pounds, it's way harder, and that's how it goes, and that's how God made this. Serve us, serve, give us, give, um, lead us, lead, teach us, teach, and it starts with each one of us. And I don't know the whole volunteer list, and we've got many of them, but if we're gonna reach the city, do you know in this city, there's over 90,000 people that don't know Jesus Christ, and that's uh, in the city. You wanna know a mission field? What happens if the Holy Spirit moves and we have a book of Acts thing happen and we're praying for that? Are we praying for the 3,000 people that might rock up the next week? We better be all hands on deck. We better be preparing for that. We better be training our young people. The world they're going into, we have no idea. But if they know Christ, and Christ has brought them for this, and they've got that foundation, that will come to life. It doesn't matter. Proverbs says, train your child in the, the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from that. Well, between child and old is a place called adolescence. And I don't know when old starts. So even if they wobble in that time, even if it looks that we pray for them, God will call them home because that seed that has been planted in a Sunday school, whether you taught it or not, or by you, is eternal. And we water the seed through prayer, and we water the seed through faith in those things. And people often, I led a man, a councilman here through Johann's uh, obedience. We went and saw this man, who's uh, dying of cancer. I think he died three weeks, la- three weeks later, and, and uh, a very high-profile man in the city, and Leon said, I think we should pray for him. He found out how we could get to them. We didn't even know the guy. We were invited there. He was telling us his life story, wonderful, and uh, one day I, I said, listen, I need to close this deal because I, this guy's sick. And I just said, Look, um, sir, do you know where you're going if you die? Something like that. And that started a conversation on Jesus Christ. Do you know, have you ever given your heart to Jesus Christ? And Johan can correct it because he's got a better memory than me. But he said something like this. You know, when I was about 12 years old in Alberta, I went to a Christian camp. And I met Jesus there. But I never, ever did anything about it my whole life. That was seed was sown by a Christian camp leader who more than likely pulled his hair out and said, God, what the heck am I doing with these crazy kids? He remembered that. He gave his heart to the Lord. We were in palliative care. He said, can you come here and pray for my family? He was a really high-powered guy. The people were in there, and he wanted the peace and the presence of God and was smiling and, and he asked me, can I pray, can we pray with his family? The Holy Spirit just came, bam. God's grace. One seed lay dormant for 70 years. And then somebody can't, somebody planted it and through Johan's obedience, and I say that, he's, Mike said, gee, you, that was awesome. I said, no, Johan, we wouldn't be here without you. Partnership. I just Sprinkled, we just sprinkled a little bit of water, boop, and it went poof. And you'll walk into heaven and see that dude and say, Hey, remember that camp? 
They're amazing, eh? We each carry our own load. His family is about love, honor, diversity, creativity, spontaneity, and shared responsibility. Everybody contributing spiritually, physically, financially to the health and well-being of the family. In family, identity and value is found in who we are and not what we do. As a result, we serve not to gain approval of the Father, but we serve because we are already approved. And it's out of this place that we serve. Why? Why do we serve God? Because he saved us. He served us. Philippians chapter two. Is it Philippians two? Yeah. Go and read of the humility of God. The humility of God. It says, your attitude should be that of the same as the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. God humbled himself, taking on the nature of a servant, the highest accolade in the, in the world, the greatest is to be a servant of God, serving God with our gifts, anointing, and whatever we have. Became a, a servant, and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. We don't have to exalt ourselves. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can we bow our heads, please? The worship team can please come forward. Just bow your heads for a moment. Remember the started with me saying this, something like this, forgetting that which is behind, that it's a new day. And I want to say to many of you here that have served God faithfully for many, many years, that Often you have been hurt by the very people you're serving or by the very leaders in the church you have served and it's caused you you to step back. And it's a terrible and it's a hard thing and unfortunately as leaders, as being human, we sometimes hurt people. If it's intentional, we're in even more trouble but stuff happens. And I want you to bow your head first. If you've been hurt or you've been stepped out in faith and people have laughed at you and it's caused you to shrink back, it's caused you to say, I can't do that, I'm not worthy, I'm not all of these things, or even family and friends, who do you think you are? Those words, the accuser of the brethren. I want you to bow your head and if you remember these people, first and foremost, if you can, I want you to forgive those people. They're human. It's often hurt people that hurt people. They were hurt. And I want you to forgive them, if you can. Well, you can't, only God can, but just release them, release yourself. You see, God is not angry with you. He's just cheering you on right now. You say, what can I do? Can serve. Where? Wherever you want to. Holy Spirit, I pray for the precious people here today that we'll forget that which is behind and press on to take hold of what you've taken hold of us for. Lord, we open our hands, Lord. Now I'm just going to pray in the spirit just to, I just sense there's 
the rain of the Spirit, like a mist coming down upon you. That to me speaks of times of refreshing. Come, Holy Spirit, come. I just sense the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit just wooing you into their presence, drawing you in. Almost in a sense, come away with me, and I just pray that this week that you will just take a little time on your busy day just to spend time with your dad. Tell him your issues. Tell him your fears. Tell him your victories. He's a father. He loves to hear from you. And I want to pray for the ones who didn't have a good father and cannot see you through the prism of a loving father. I ask you to forgive those ones too. You see, forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. It releases you circumstance might, might not change but God pours His grace upon you when we do that it's a new day and I pray Lord that you will ask and ask God what you can do if we didn't have people put out chairs today you would have had to stand for two hours those people are important if we didn't have the coffee being made before church, many of you may have fallen asleep, fallen asleep. If we didn't have greeters, you think of anything, it's important. What can I do? And allow God to recommission you and revision you. This is a new year. We've got work to do. But it's so much better when we do it together with God on our side. Lord, I just pray for the precious family that you've blessed us with. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you've given Deborah and I and the eldership team of working with such amazing people. And I pray that they will see themselves as who they are in you, holy and dearly loved children of God. Pray that healing will come. Pray that strength will come to step out of our comfort zones. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us will carry the very big load I see you bring in here as you bring in the lost and the hurt. But if we share it together, Lord God, you will supply more people and we can share it with them.